Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Monday, August 29th, 2022. And our top story today, physician shortages mount. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the program this morning. Great to have you. All right. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. All right. Well, let's let's dive into this because um, one of the most expensive parts of retirement or just for people in general can be Healthcare, and it's always important to find a physician or healthcare professional that can help you. And, and you, you and your team look at the workforce, the, the healthcare workforce, in particular physicians. How are we doing in terms of staffing physician positions? We are not doing nearly as well as we need to do. And that's only likely to get worse for at least the next 15 to 20 years. So why aren't we doing as well? Are we not attracting enough people to go through med school, to go through the the lengthy process of becoming a physician? What are some of the barriers uh, for staffing? Well, the main sort of barrier to um, producing more physicians in this country, as it were, is the the number of training slots for graduate medical education. I mean, I, I don't mean to get sort of too nerdy with the terminology, et cetera, it's but okay. when you're training to be a physician, first you go to medical school and then you have to do a residency. And that's usually when you train in the specialty that you're going to go into, right? And so we speak of residency slots, you know, the number of residency slots sort of determines how many new physicians you're going to have every year because, you know, that that's how many can train in their specialty and then finish the residency and become practicing physicians. I mean, they're considered doctors while they're residents, but you really need to complete your residency before you're an active, completely done with your training physician. And there is a cap on the number of those residency slots that Medicare funds that was put in place in 1997. And there, there were a few new, few thousand new slots added a couple of years ago, but that's once and once only over the past 97, 2000, well, 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who is responsible for increasing that cap? Is it the executive branch, uh, CMS, or is it uh, the, the legislature, the Congress, who's responsible for, I, I guess there's a funding element to that, right? I mean, there is, there is. And so it has to start with Congress passing legislation that includes an expansion in the number of slots that Medicare will fund. But then, you know, the president obviously has to sign it, you know, the I'm just a bill, you know, the, yeah, yeah. You know. I was, you're just, you just got me because I was this thinking that I was, you know, you know, thinking that whole schoolhouse rock thing. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, that, I mean, that, that, that's it. There are other limited ways that new residency slots can be created, but that's the main thing. Congress needs to pass legislation expanding the number of slots that Medicare will fund, and then the president needs to sign it into law. Are there certain specialties that 
we're lacking in. And, and I want to get into maybe in the second half, we'll talk about things like uh, mental health, because that's a big issue. But are there, are there specialties that we need to really think about as we have the boomers retire? My generation, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm not that far behind. And then we've got all these other gen- generations, the millennials, which is the, one of the largest generations since the, uh, since the, the parents of the baby boomers. So um, are there specialties that uh, we need to really look at in, in increasing the, the, uh, the numbers? Yes. Um, the, <laughs> I suppose you want more than that. It took me a while to ask that. the question. Oh, can uh, I say yeah. I'm a little circuitous? <laughs> uh, so um, one way to think about it is um, the way we do it, we put out reports regularly projecting the future supply and demand of physicians, right? And, you know, we can't do that for every single specialty because there are more than 200 physician specialties. That would just be too much. So we look at four main specialty groups, right? One, primary care. I think everybody pretty much knows what that is. And the other is the surgical specialty. So surgeons, that makes the most sense. Then we look at medical specialties. Um, and those are, you know, a lot of other specialties, generally folks who train in general internal medicine, but then go on to subspecializing, you know, cardiology and so on are in there. And then there's you know, one more specialty group that gets the lovely label of other specialties, which is anybody who doesn't fit in the first three, right? And in for all four specialty groups, um, we're projecting shortages. So it's an across the board kind of thing, um, you know. Primary care, yes. Surgical specialties, yes. Medical specialty, all the other specialties. We're projecting shortages in all of them. And because you're asking specifically about retirees and the aging population, it is the specialties that an aging population needs most about which we're more, most concerned. Yeah. And, so. and to, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to follow okay. up on that. Uh, when I think of getting older um, and I look at the current U.S. population, We've had, you know, podiatrists and other specialties on the show, um, obesity, um, cancer, diabetes. Uh, these are seem to be some of the diseases that I would think would generate more focus on particular specialties. But I want to get your input on this before we go to a commercial break. Uh, I, you're spot on. That's exactly it. You know, um, the, the aging population and the conditions they're most likely to have, and especially um, you know, as we get older, we tend to have multiple chronic conditions and so specialists that deal with them. Then you add in, you mentioned specifically obesity, which is just such a huge problem in this country, you know. And if you, if, if you, if you suffer from obesity, then you generally have other conditions too. And yeah. the older you get, the more you'll develop. So all of the specialists who help with all those conditions are exactly the ones that we're most concerned about. So, I mean, you didn't even need to ask me the question. You already knew where the problem was. Yeah, but I don't track the workforce like you do. And I think it's important to hear from an expert like yourself, someone who's, you know, I can infer or anecdotally, but you have the the numbers to back it up. Well, then I will tell you that the data back you up. All right. Well, hey, look, I hit the jackpot. Maybe I should go play uh, the, the Powerball again, although I just missed out on the billion dollars. Michael, I need to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the physicians workforce shortage and what we need to do you're going to want to stay tuned right here on brn am imagine a new television network that will make you 
richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you over 50? Would you like to get up to 33% more income in retirement? Then call now for this free book, Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers. This free book reveals little-known secrets about annuity strategies that will help you make the right choices before buying an annuity. Call right now for your free book. And as a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report, both absolutely free, for calling Annuity General today. Call 800-504-8194. Michael, thank you so much for staying with us. We really appreciate you hanging in with us this morning. All right. Thank you. It's a pleasure. One of the big issues, Michael, now, besides all the things we mentioned before, obesity, cancer, diabetes, mental health, and whether you're an older person, a mature person like myself, or a younger person, you know, students are suffering from mental health issues. Um, how prevalent is the shortage or is there a shortage among mental health professionals like psychiatrists, psychologists, but also, um, and maybe your report doesn't cover this, but like social workers, people that are in and around the psychiatric system? Well, I mean, first, you're right. I mean, the work I do focuses mainly on the physician workforce, and there is a documented shortage of psychiatrists. But anybody who's paying attention to the mental health field knows that there's an across-the-board shortage of mental and behavioral health professionals in this country, and just pretty much everywhere. Um, and, you know, all the different professions that are involved in providing mental and behavioral health services. I mean, it's, it's, it's a priority issue at AAMC, and I know it is in many other places, too. It's, it's definitely a crisis um, and only likely to get worse. Michael, is there any opportunity? You look at technology, and we just lived through, I don't know if we're in the endemic phase officially, but with, we just lived through quarantine and COVID, where we utilize a lot of technology. And that didn't really help us in terms of being, you know, being social as much as it did with connectivity and being productive for work. But are there, you know, all the things that you're talking about, are there ways to leverage technology, uh, telehealth, uh, phone apps, in order to make up some of the shortfalls that we've discussed this morning? 
Absolutely, yes. And, and in fact, uh, at AAMC, we've been talking about that for a while because that potential has been there for years. Um, we learned a lot about its potential because of the pandemic. Um, the question is, will we take the lessons we've learned and apply them in a way that actually expands access? I mean, on some fundamental level, of course, if we don't have enough healthcare professionals in the mental and behavioral health space, then you've got nobody for the technology to connect you to, right? So, sure. you know, we need first to make sure we've got enough of those professionals, but then the technology can help, absolutely. Uh, we saw a huge uptick in telehealth during um, COVID. It has gone down somewhat um, over time, but it's higher than it was before and likely to stay there. And like I said, now we need to learn the lessons. How do we take it and expand it? Because one of the things I noticed is that telehealth during the pandemic really helped connect people to healthcare who already had pretty good access to care. Mm -hmm. But the folks who before the pandemic didn't have good access to care didn't benefit as much. So the, clearly there's a lot of work left to do. So, yes, the potential is there, but we need to make sure that, you know, we have enough professionals. And you may be aware there are a lot of issues around reimbursement for telehealth versus in-person care. And we need to make sure we address those. And then, while I'm not going to make a statement on where I stand on this, licensing is an issue, too because often telehealth can be done across state lines, but each state has its own licensing laws and regulations, et cetera, and you need to be licensed in that state to provide care in that state. So we need to figure out how to address that too. And some of that was waived, I think, during COVID in terms of at least prescribing uh, yep. medications. And I, and I think they may have revoked that as we've returned some of it they've pulled back on. I would have to go back and check to see where we are on the specifics of it. But yes, they did r relax a lot of that during COVID. And those are some of the lessons we learned. You know, let's look at that. Did that help? If so, you know, should we continue some of those things forward? Last question, Michael. I know you mentioned technology. Look, I grew up at a time where doctors still made home visits. That's the only home visit they're doing today is through an app. How much of the work of a physician is that in-person, one-on-one or one-on-the-family interaction? You know, we're social creatures, as we discussed in previous in our segment, in our previous segment. But how much of being a physician? It's not just about zero-one and prescribing you this and that. There's a there's a uh, there's a therapeutic aspect of this that I think you probably derive one-on-one -on -one with the physician. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the way I think about it is um, fundamentally what a physician is, is a healer, right? And that, you know, and the caring part of healthcare that healers bring to that is their interaction with the people who need the care, right? And that's, that's the heart of what physicians do. In fact, one of the biggest problems we face in the physician workforce is, you know, how much of a physician's time is taken for other activities, and what can we do to free up more of their time to devote to that interacting with patients and families and indeed broader communities? Because that's that's, you know, that's the work that people go into medicine to do. Um, so, yes, um, you know, the, the more we can help physicians spend more of their time interacting with us, the better off everyone will be. Last question, Michael, I, I just completed rewatching house i love that show and i am a longtime fan of saint elsewhere both kind of took 
place in a collegial type of collegian type of environment, a school environment. What when you look at your, uh, I don't want to say customers, but your your base, your uh, medical colleges. What are some of the biggest needs outside of more to eliminate the caps and maybe more revenue, uh, more um, uh, money coming in to help out? What are some of these universities really, what do they really need in order to train the physicians of the future? What do they need to train the physicians of the future? Oh, that's a big question. Um, you know, you know, more support is always welcome. Yep. Um, honestly, though, I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, I think they're doing a really good job of yes. training the physicians of the future. Um, and so, you know, more support there. Interestingly, the last question touches on this. It's the amount of time physicians have and what they spend it doing. Because a lot of training in medical school for medical students comes from other physicians. So the extent to which practicing physicians have the time to dedicate to teaching, you know, it will contribute to medical education and the physicians of the future. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would say that, you know, that's one of the things that would be great to be able to focus on, you know, let's stop squeezing physicians time so much and let them practice medicine, heal people and teach the next generation of doctors. Yep. Yep. You know, the best teacher is experience and learning from people who are more experienced. Keep them out of doing the paperwork. Michael, so great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon, my friend. All right. Thank you. Yeah, that'd be great. That wraps up this episode of BRN AM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget for all the latest security news and lifestyle wellness, finance, tech, so much more. Check out today's edition of our morning newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, we'll visit our website and, of course, our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRN AM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.